Hey you. Yes, you. Thanks for tuning in to the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. My name is David Benjamin. I'm your host and the founder of HealthyWildAndFree.com. If you're like me, you understand that health, the mind, body, spirit, heart connection, and living a green, eco-friendly, sustainable lifestyle are some of the most valuable and life-enhancing lessons that we can learn and pass on to our children to live happy and abundant lives. That's why this podcast was created, to help you grow in these areas. If you aren't already subscribed to the newsletter, go to HealthyWildAndFree.com, click the box at the top right-hand corner to get a free copy of our latest ebook, and you'll be subscribed to be notified about future podcasts. Thanks for subscribing and tuning in. Enjoy. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, this is David Benjamin, your host of the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. Uh, today we have an awesome guest who is very kind of uh, interesting and has very interesting stories. Um, I've met him a few times now. I actually met him in Detroit at the Awaken Empowered Expo, which is kind of a, uh, a consciousness event. And uh, he spoke about digestive health at the event. And uh, I really liked what he had to share. He actually shared some information about different kind of cultures, uh, historical cultures, and their uh, kind of health practices uh, from all around the world, so Ayurveda, Chinese medicine, and just the kind of different healers and cultures and different kind of tools and methodologies that they use uh, within regards to healing and health and, uh, you know, those types of things. So, uh, but today we're going to talk about adjustive health because that is his kind of uh, specialty. So on the show today, we have Dr. Matthew Martirano. He's a naturopathic physician and creator of the Coherent Method which is a a holistic approach to comprehensive digestive health. This method offers a framework for a personalized and focused approach to digestive health symptoms that combines lifestyle factors with specific food recommendations and dietary supplements in order to support the body's natural hearing processes and help restore digestive health. He studied naturopathic medicine and is on the board of directors of the Michigan Association of Naturopathic Physicians. And you can learn more about his work at Dr. Matt N D. That's N, the letter N D dot com. And I'm going to bring him on the call right now. Dr. Matt, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you doing today? Hi, David. I'm doing well. Uh, thanks for having me on the show. Glad to hear, and glad you can uh, be on the show. Uh, I wanted to start the interview, kind of how I start all the interviews I do, and ask you the question: How did you initially kind of become interested in uh, holistic and naturopathic health? Sure. Well, um, you know, growing, growing up, um, actually, uh, I was always under a strong encouragement from my, you know, from my parents to, uh, you know, be a doctor. And um, I grew up and, and was very interested in, in science, um, uh, mathematics, that sort of thing. And uh, when I started um, college, uh, at the University of Michigan, um, I was pursuing a degree in um, in biophysics, and um, eventually, um, the, I actually the math the math part got a little bit added to over my head, so I, I switched to biology and then added on a second degree, which was a philosophy, and that was really the beginning of of when I started to learn a lot about just different ways of thinking that I I really never been exposed to before and I became very interested in the philosophy of science particularly and so when it was um, you know time to to think about what was next I had considered uh, you know more of a, a, a 
conventional medical school, but it, there was just certain pieces of, of the, the sort of the philosophy of health that I, I really couldn't get behind, and that's when I started looking and, and found about uh, naturopathic medicine. I had no idea that I could, you know, go to a, a four-year medical program where I would also learn about, um, you know, natural medicines, uh, herbal medicine, and, and all that sort of thing. Hmm. So when I when I learned that I could do it, I was <laughs> off to the races. Yeah. yeah. That was it. Uh, do you think that's interesting? That's a kind of interesting uh, uh, story. Do you think that your uh, biology and philosophy uh, kind of pivot there within within school kind of sparked your interest in seeing things differently as far as health is concerned? Yeah, it really did because you know. What, what we most of us are, you know, our view of, of science, our sort of our view of just the world around us is 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 really based in, in a certain framework um, that's only been around for you know a few hundred years, which has a lot of value to it. But we're not often exposed to just other ways of looking and at the world and, and viewing it, other philosophies, which. Um, you know, different cultures throughout history, you know, all the way from the ancient Egyptians, um, the um, uh, Indian culture, uh, Romans and Greeks, you know, there was all these different ways of looking at the world. And it was really interesting to kind of put on these different lenses and then and then look back at science, modern science, and say, all right, well, what, what do we have, what does this have to inform us by looking at it a different way and so that was you know one of the biggest things that for me was a shift in terms of looking at the body was really starting to look at it from you know what we would now call a, a more holistic approach which is looking at it as as a unit as a something that is is more than just the sum of a bunch of different parts and also taking into account um, you know non-physical aspects of health that include our you know our emotions our, our psychology our spirituality and how that all comes together to bear on on our health right very cool so uh, how did, how did uh, kind of the digestive health um, how did that kind of what kind of made you decide to specialize in digestive health um, it's it's kind of interesting to me even because uh, when I well when I first started naturopathic school I think in our first year we had uh, a couple classes where they kind of brought in the the sages of the profession and you know people who who have been at this for a really long time and and you know one common piece of wisdom that they all shared with us was you know when all else fails look to the gut you know the the digestive system is really the foundation of health in the body and frankly at that time i really didn't find it all that interesting um, I was much more interested in um, psychology. I was interested in mind-body medicine. I was interested um, in energetics and things like that. And um, I, I, it wasn't until I actually got out into practice um, and also, at, you know, the information which emer has been emerging, you know, since I started naturopathic school in terms of the relationship between um, our mind and the gut. Uh, but when I got out, you know, into sort of the real world, uh, about, gosh, I would say close to 90% of the people that were just coming in to see me, you know, that were finding me were having chronic digestive symptoms, and it really sort of, you know, <laughs> forced me to kind of take a really close look at this and say, you know, what's going on here, and why are all these people... Um, 
you know, not getting the help that they need. And then when I started to work with that in a little bit more detail, I had a couple really interesting experiences with people who had just immense sort of psychological and emotional shifts when um, we had some success in working with their gut. And that's what really sort of sparked um, a new fire for me in terms of, uh, you know, understanding this connection and, and how it all fits together. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you kind of saw how the gut does connect to psychology and to emotions and the rest of the body and the areas that were more interesting to you at the time. Very interesting. Uh, so what, what, for someone that, you know, is just kind of learning more about health and they're just kind of starting to dig into this type of information in a kind of alternative world, quote-unquote, why, why is digestive health and the digestive system so important to, uh, you know, keep healthy and keep working properly. What kind of negative results come from uh, not understanding the digestive system uh, as far as health concerns go? Well, I think that, you know, um, all, uh, pretty much all of us um, have this image that has sort of was birthed along with the Industrial Revolution, um, and this image of the body as sort of a, just a machine. And we have this idea that we sort of shovel fuel in, food is fuel, we sort of shovel it in our mouths and it, it goes into this mysterious place and we get energy. And we don't really think about it much beyond that, but it's really a much more complex process. And so, for example, uh, we all, everyone knows um, you know, that eating well is, is going to confer health benefits to us. Uh, but what we don't, uh, sometimes people aren't, aren't aware of till it, till it causes issues for them is that they may, for example, they might be eating well now, but their digestive system isn't working very well. And so they aren't able to get all of the nutrition from the food that they might otherwise, uh, or they might be eating perfectly healthy food, but for some reason having an intolerance to you know, could be just about anything, and that's causing some issues for them. Or um, another example is a lot of people I've seen, you know, who they 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 go out and they pursue, you know, an alternative approach or natural medicine, and, and they sort of get a practitioner who just kind of, I, I, you know, kind of throws the kitchen sink at them in terms of supplements. So they're taking all these um, supplements that, you know, theoretically should be working for them, but they're not. And so... You know, that's when we start to look at, you know, what's just going in the mouth. Just because we, we swallow something doesn't necessarily mean it's getting into the body. It's having the effect that we want it to have. And so that's where, you know, digestive health um, comes in. And then another angle of that that's, I think, really fascinating has to do with our the, the microbes that live inside of our gut. Uh, and we're learning so much about uh, these, uh, the microbiology of the gut and how these different organisms actually affect the way that we uh, digest the food, affect the way that we uh, use a nutrient, and, um, which I think is really fascinating, can even um, impact us to the degree of affecting our, say, food cravings and, and things like that. That's an area that we're just really starting to investigate, but it looks very interesting. Interesting, and I think might offer us an explanation for why, for example, sometimes when people they really want to make a change 
to their diet, uh, but they, they just find it really difficult to do. And, and a lot of times we, uh, we sort of get hit with the message that it's, you know, it's just, a, it's just sheer will. You know, if you have the will, if you have the intention, you're going to make that change. Uh, but what we have to consider now is that, you know, what, what we would normally think of as, you know, ourselves as a human, um, from a, from a genetic level, or it's only about 10% of the genes that really affect us, uh, our health are, are actually human genes. The other 90%, um, come from bacteria and, and they have their say too. And, uh, they, a lot of times, um, the, the ecosystem that's in our gut, uh, just like anything else, um, becomes resistant to change. And even if it's an, in an unhealthy state, uh, there's factors at play that make it hard uh, uh, or more difficult than we might think to to make a change down there. So all of these things sort of come together. And I think a lot of times, um, I, I've seen definitely a, a lot of stories of people who are, who are just struggling for a very long time and um, not not really getting that peace or that understanding that you know there's there's more that's going on um, inside the gut it's it's oftentimes not as simple as just making a dietary change mm -hmm. so basically the really utilizing the nutrition that you you consume uh, is kind of the role of the digestive system so that you get the most benefit from that and if you're eating healthy, to really fully kind of optimize that. And if you're not eating healthy, obviously, a healthier gut and digestive system will at least use what it can so that you can actually benefit from a somewhat healthy or less healthy diet. Um, beyond that, though, what I guess what negative kind of um, consequences and what kind of things uh, are become issues kind of either in the short term or long term when someone kind of neglects uh, understanding uh, you know, digestive health, gut health, and these types of things. Well, well, what happens, you know, in the short term are, are usually just changes, you know, that are confined to the digestive system. In other words, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people have uh, just, a, you know, your normal uh, sort of everyday digestive complaints from um, gas and bloating to, uh, you know, just abdominal pain, um, difficulty with their stools, uh, nausea, um, feeling really tired when they eat, uh, reflux, all of these, these things that I think many of us have sort of been conditioned to just to kind of accept as normal. Um, and, and so what, the, what happens over the long term is that we, we a lot of times we, we have these um, symptoms and we just sort of deal with them uh, on, a, on a short term basis. In other words, we're getting reflux, you know, take a Tums, take a Zantac, take this, I feel better, get back to what I was doing. Uh, over the long term, what can happen though is that these changes that are occurring in the gut can start to actually get into the get into the body system as a whole in other words we can have a chronic inflammatory situation that's set up in the gut and if that gets bad enough and chronic enough that can affect uh, the permeability of our gut our gut tissue and so these these molecules and chemicals and things that might be causing us just discomfort in the beginning can start to gain access to the, the body at large. And, and we're learning that there's so many connections between chronic digestive issues and things that we previously thought weren't really connected, and particularly autoimmune disorders uh, such as Hashimoto's, um, thyroiditis, 
and uh, also chronic inflammatory conditions. So it's something that when we, if we let it go long enough, it starts to actually affect our body as a whole, and then it's not, it's no longer just contained to the digestive system. And then, and then that's when, when that's usually when people have decided that they've had enough. Uh, but unfortunately, letting it go that long, it makes it makes it more of a challenge to to get things back in working order. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what I like about the work that you do. You you help people be more in tune with their body and understanding uh, what is causing the discomfort, what's causing the gas, the bloating, whatever it may be, and help to kind of fine-tune that, balance it, and align it so that their digestive system stays healthy and it doesn't affect uh, their health negatively long-term. Um, so I want to talk a bit about the coherent method because this is something you developed, and I think it's just great for people to understand this and uh, use it. Um, you know, just to keep their digestive system healthy as a practice. Um, So what is the coherent method in a nutshell? And then we'll kind of dig into it from there. Sure. Well, well, really what it is 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 a framework for for understanding digestive function. And and coherent is basically, you know, an acronym. Uh, every, Every letter represents a different aspect of our digestive function. Of course, we need all of them kind of working together. Uh, but the reason that I, I, I started work on it was because I, I just wasn't that um, that satisfied with the framework that we've had in the past for working with functional digestive disorders. Um, the, the one that I learned and is very, very, very popular and effective is called the four R's. Uh, we're sort of uh, repair, uh, replace, re-inoculate, and uh, the fourth R slips in my mind at the moment um, in terms of but how we how we approach digestive function. But it was really um, incomplete from from my perspective in terms of not addressing some things that are that are important, and in particular uh, addressing the the non-physical aspects of of digestive health as well. And so uh, it's sort of it's sort of thing that came, you know, came to me in, in a moment of inspiration, but also, you know, now as a framework for something that's, you know, in development, something that I, I'm working as I work with people, uh, as I read more research and incorporate these things, um, trying to bring together uh, a, a more of a, a coherent framework for how to approach digestive symptoms. Because, um, in, in the world of natural medicine, as I'm sure you're, you're aware, the, the, we have sort of the opposite problem that we oftentimes encounter with uh, conventional medicine where someone might come in and they say, well, you know, we, we can give you this medication, maybe this other one, we might be able to perform a fr- procedure for you, and, and that's it. So there's only a few options for people. In, in the world of, of natural medicine, there's there's hundreds and hundreds of options from you know anything from simple behavioral changes to dietary changes to to supplements and all these sort of things and it can very quickly become bewildering not only for a a patient but for practitioners as well to try to sort through all of this morass of information and and get something practical out of it so the idea there is is to take all of that and provide a framework to sort of funnel all of this information through and come up with very um, practical practical steps that are also I think understandable to people and in terms of okay why am I doing this and what am I trying to accomplish Right. So it's, it's definitely a great framework. And uh, so let's just start with the coherent method. What is what is the first uh, colonized C? What does that kind of represent? 
Well, C is for, for colonizing, and, and that refers to our microbiota. So the microbiota are all of these microbes that are living in our gut. Uh, there are bacteria. There, there's also yeast, fungus. There's uh, molds. There's parasites. There's viruses. They all live in there. And um, many of us uh, just aren't, aren't aware of that to begin with. So we, our approach to a lot of things is not taking that into account. For example, a lot of people might have uh, grown up and had um, chronic, say, sinus infections. They're taking antibiotics for that, say, you know, maybe just once or twice a year growing up. And let's say they were, uh, in their teenage years, they might have had acne, and they were placed on a long-term prescription for antibiotics for that, or maybe someone ended up in the hospital. So there might have been a lot of reasons why we, we might have wanted to use antibiotics, but like anything else we take, we take a pill and we put it in our mouth. So the first place that the antibiotic hits is our digestive tract. And typically what we use um, in most cases are, are broad-spectrum antibiotics. So they're, they're kind of like shotguns. They don't, they don't discriminate between what's helpful and what's not. They just go in there and kind of kill bacteria. So over time, these levels of bacteria can start to become lower and lower and set the stage um, for something that might be more problematic or more infectious to come in. So, you know, the colonize is, is to simply remind us of, you know, the fact that we do have these microbes in our gut and, and we do need to think about how are we going to colonize them? How are we going to get these good bacteria in us and how are we going to support their growth? And so that can, um, you know, a first step for a lot of people is simply trying to incorporate uh, more fermented or cultured foods into their diet that have these bacteria in them. Um, another thing might be considering, you know, use of antibiotics and trying to limit them to when they are only absolutely necessary or using some uh, things that are more natural or some antimicrobials that might be more sparing of, of the, the gut flora you know, if that situation comes up. Um, and then for some people, you know, it also, for many people, in fact, it you know, involves taking a probiotic formula. And so then we have to look at, you know, what, what kind of probiotic and, and how, what dosage do we want and how, what kind of bacteria are going to be in this capsule. And there's, of course, different bacteria do different things. So all of these things kind of bear into this sort of notion of colonizing our gut, making sure that the ecosystem that lives in there is, is healthy and is alive, because the more that it is alive, the more that it's going to support our health in general. Mm -hmm. And kind of uh, colonizing the colony, quote-unquote, or the colonies, uh, is definitely... Uh, makes a lot of sense. What are some uh, antimicrobial or, or antibiotic, natural antibiotic things that people can include in their diet that kind of help to balance out the, uh, or, or kill the bad bacteria, bad, you know, viruses, parasites, sure. and things like that? Sure. Well, the one, a lot of, um, luckily, a lot of the herbs that are antimicrobial, uh, antimicrobial people will be very familiar with because there are a lot of our cooking herbs and spices. So um, over the millennia, even though we didn't really know about bacteria, you know, until um, the sort of towards the end of the, the 19th century, what we did know was that if we had certain food products and we sort of, you know, packed them in these herbs, 
they didn't go bad and people didn't get sick when they ate them. So, for example, simple uh, everyday kitchen herbs such as oregano or rosemary or thyme um, all have antimicrobial properties. Uh, ginger has some antimicrobial properties along with different spices. Garlic is another one that people uh, you know, use a lot, of, a lot of times in their cooking. And so one of the first things I would recommend for people, of course, is A, uh, you know, preparing more of your own meals uh, offers you the opportunity to, to incorporate more of these things into your food and then also getting used to these getting used to these flavors. So a lot of times people over the years have been accustomed to sort of a very kind of kind of bland diet and stray away from, you know, these herbs and spices that provide all of these health benefits. So those are some of the most common ones that uh, you know that we use in terms of um, antimicrobials, and then, there, then there's things that you wouldn't normally come across, uh, like uh, say black walnut husk or or wormwood or things like that that are used in more in particular situations if we say identified a parasite or something like that. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, as far as positive bacteria is concerned, sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, things like that. Do you recommend people use these kind of antimicrobial spices and herbs along with the probiotics within the, maybe even the same meal or the same day, or do you recommend kind of keeping them separate and kind of cycling them? Well, sure, sure, and that's a good question. Uh, oftentimes, not, un, not infrequently, you know, we'll have someone who's, who's actually taking a probiotic formula and an antimicrobial formula um, Concurrently, what we'll do is just have them separate those by time. In other words, you might take your probiotic in the morning and the evening, and and your antimicrobial in the afternoon, and and so they're not they're not coming in at the exact same moment. However, it, it's it's kind of fascinating, but it seems like a lot of a lot of things that are antimicrobial. Um, from the, in the herbal category, uh, are very sparing of gut bacteria. So it seems that over just the the, the ages of time, um, somehow humanity and these plants and these microbes have all um, uh, sort of found a way to work together. And so the, a lot of times the herbs that um, will kill harmful bacteria in the gut are very sparing to ones that, that are helpful, and so it's not it's not that much of a concern uh, in in using those things together. But generally, I, I try to keep them you know a little bit apart from time. So I wouldn't necessarily have you take your herbal antimicrobials and down it with some kombucha, uh, right. take it all together, you know. But um, uh, you know, if a couple hours in between is usually fine. Yeah, drink some, eat a clove of garlic, and throw back some kombucha. That might hit the gut pretty hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'll yeah. try it out, though. Um, so, all right, so uh, with, with O, optimizing and absorption, what, what are some kind of different techniques that you can, people can use in their life and their diet and supplements to optimize absorption of nutrients? Sure. So you want so so as as you mentioned, O stands for optimize, and that's just really a, a, you know, like I said, optimizing our digestion and absorption of the nutrients. And uh, there's so many things that are available. And, and actually, interestingly, uh, there's a, a story I can tell of a, um, a person I've been working with for quite some time, who was having um, was having some digestive problems. We're we're kind of in you know making some progress, kind of two steps forward, one step back. 
Uh, we looked at all these different aspects. We ran some tests. We were, you know, kind of getting there, working on it. And uh, he wrote me a couple weeks ago, and he said, um, you know, it's it's really surprising, but I've been paying a lot of attention to simply chewing my food, and I noticed that my symptoms are dramatically reduced. And 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 some a lot of times there's very simple things like that that are overlooked because we want we want sort of something fantastic. Uh, but uh, the mechanical action of chewing our food and eating our food in a relaxed state when we're in a parasympathetic, a restful state rather than a sympathetic dominant state, running around trying to cram, you know, cram some food in our mouths in between one ear into the next or what have you, just preparing, making the body prepared for food, interacting with it, um, smelling it, looking at it, enjoying the tastes, chewing the food thoroughly, all of these things are going to make it easier on our body to digest that food once it arrives in the gut. Now, sometimes people um, have issues in producing digestive enzymes on their own um, to varying degrees of what we would call pancreatic insufficiency. So a lot of, a lot of those digestive enzymes that break down the carbs, fats, proteins, and the food are made by the pancreas, and the pancreas just isn't isn't kicking out as much as we would like. So there, there's, um, we can take digestive enzymes as a supplement. We can take, just take them with your food and, and you're kind of off to the races there. There's different herbs that we can use, uh, particularly bitter herbs, to try to help st- stimulate the pancreas to make more digestive enzymes on its own. So we can use those uh, sometimes, although uh, more frequently I would say people get relief from from digestive enzymes, although it does take a little bit of time to kind of tweak the the right dosage there. So, um, you know, from everything from just simply uh, smelling and tasting one's food to taking taking some digestive enzymes, all of these things can help in terms of, you know, optimizing our digestion and extracting more nutrition from our food. Are there any kind of uh, spices, herbs, or even specific vegetables or fruits or plants in general that kind of do that, have that kind of same effect of basically increasing the bioavailability of whatever is in the, in the gut and the digestive system? Uh, well, the, the, the simplest thing would actually be black pepper. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, what what black pepper does is it it provides a sort of a temporary um, increase in the permeability of your gut membrane. So anything that you take um, that's seasoned with pepper is going to uh, be more easily absorbed by by the digestive tract, generally speaking. And then in terms of um, foods and herbs that kind of stimulate our digestion, the, really the the key to that uh, is is the bitter taste. Um, so anything that tastes bitter, um, sort of uh, any kind of green, but per, you know, dandelion green would probably be the, the most uh, bitter herb, um, that will help to stimulate our digestion. And then, um, but like gentian, angelica, uh, juniper berry, um, even rhubarb, all of these things are you know frequently found in kind of what we'd call like a digestive bitters formula, so just like a... Um, you know, a teaspoon of, of an herbal mix that you would take before uh, you eat. And so those bitter things tend to uh, increase our digestion. And, um, and 
it does remind me as well, kind of getting back to, um, you know, fermented foods that tend to have that sour taste to them. So the first two things there I think is important for people to consider are sour and bitter foods. And, and for many, many, many of us, uh, it's, you know, they're just they're kind of unpleasant at first taste. So we, we kind of make a decision that, well, we don't care for those foods, and so we don't eat them. We just kind of mm-hmm. stick to sweet and salty. <laughs> and, right. and so we end up with a sort of two-dimensional aspect to our, our, our foods when really we have five tastes that we should be engaging, since each of these um, is our sort of key to provide certain benefits. Mm-hmm. And, that, and that kind of uh, philosophy of the, the sweet, sour, and salty, and all these different kind of tastes, does that stem from Arveda, I believe? Yeah. yeah, well, yes. So um, that, that idea is definitely present in Ayurveda. Um, it's, it's present in, in Chinese medicine as well. And so, you know, th- those ideas have, have definitely been around for a very long time. And so, and I think it's a great example of how, you know, ancient people, even though they didn't, they didn't have ke- the chemistry that we have, they didn't have um, a- any of these tools of scientific investigation, you know, they were they were on something because, you know, what makes one food taste one way and then one food taste another way has, simply has to do with the, the chemicals that are in the food that are reacting in our tongue. So, you know, they recognized that um, each of these was there for a reason. And I think also, uh, in a little bit of a, of a more kind of metaphysical sense, also recognize that, you know, the, the sour and the bitter of life is also part of it. And it's part of the experience, and it's not necessarily just um, just pleasure seeking, you know, or just simply eating eating foods because they they taste great to us. And I think in you know where we're running into a lot of issues in modern times is that you don't you know you don't have to eat any of these foods anymore. If you don't want to eat a vegetable. You don't. You don't have to. You know, there's there's plenty of of alternatives. You can just stick to you know um, sweet and salty stuff and and uh, give that a go. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting. I'm glad you had that uh, tidbit. That's very interesting. Uh, so on to the letter H. I feel like we're playing a game of horse here or something. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, on to letter sure. H. What does that stand for? Well, H is harmonizing digestion, um, and, and what that refers to is kind of getting all of these organs and, and to work together, kind of like a, you know an orchestra. If you, uh, oftentimes what you find is that you know one aspect of the digestive tract is overactive, one aspect is underactive, and we really want to try to get them to all work together, and we want all of these hormones and neurotransmitters to communicate the right signal at the right time. Uh, so, for example, um, eating. Oftentimes, for for many of us, we've got a busy lifestyle, and we sort of, you know, we eat when we can. So, in addition to just simply taking taking a rest to eat, there is a lot to be said for eating round about the same time every day, or getting getting in tune with our body's sort of daily cycle, and eating food at, at a regular time. Well, what happens is that the body will sort of get used to this rhythm and on the other hand you don't want to necessarily get to the point where you have to be so rigid that you know you can't have any flexibility uh, but 
getting getting our, our diurnal cycles in order, um, waking up at around about the same time every day, having food around about the same time every day, making sure that we're in a relaxed state. All of these things are sending our sending signals to our body to prepare for food. Uh, it's you know it's similar uh, it's similar to, to exercise, and we have a big difference in the results of exercise depending upon when we do it and how long we exercise and all that has to do with what kind of signal we're sending to the body with our exercise more so than just how many calories did we burn so that's that's an area that's um i think very very interesting because all of these all of these things kind of come back to bear on the digestive tract and of course what we're finding is that um, all of these neurotransmitters that we hear about in sort of brain chemistry, like serotonin or melatonin or, or dopamine, um, all exist in the gut. And, and, and for many, if not most of them, are produced in higher amounts in the gut than they are, than they are produced in the brain. So as we really start to focus on um, this connection uh, between, between the brain and the gut, and sort of how how all of these things are working working together, rather than just sort of you know t- plucking one thing out of the body, saying all right, all right, liver, you're not doing your job, um, and just sort of you know supporting the liver without looking at where are these other organs coming in the picture. Right. Interesting. Yeah. The, the brain the brain gut connection is definitely very interesting. There's a lot of kind of new research coming out about that. So it's um, just kind of a side note on that, a quick question. Have you seen people within your practice where you help them kind of with their digestive health and you notice that their thought processes and kind of mind as a whole changed as their digestive system began to heal? Yeah, absolutely I have. And, and, it, and it, surprises, <laughs> it surprises me every time. Uh, there, there is a, a girl... A uh, couple years ago, who came in and she's just like, you know, I, I've been having these digestive symptoms, but also I just, I, you know, I feel anxious. Um, I, I don't want to go out. I, I just don't even feel like myself anymore. I mean, I'm thinking about going, you know, going to to see a counselor or something. Something too. I said, well, you know, let's see what happens. Let's just give it a couple weeks and see what happens when we work on your digestion and. and in in like three weeks, she came back and she I was I was even surprised and it was like a total transformation. You know, she said, you know, I, I feel like my old self again. I feel great, like the anxiety is gone, and um, and she hasn't been back in a couple years since then. I assume that she's you know she's still doing great. Um, I have uh, more recently I um, had a have a, um, someone I'm seeing who also has uh, Tourette syndrome, and um, he's said that um, his symptoms of Tourette's have, have been reduced when his when his gut is doing better. I've had um, autistic children who whose symptoms improve when we work on the gut, and I want to stress that it's it's not necessarily the 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 the, the fix for everything. Um, there is there's still value in in looking at you know um, psychological things from a psychological standpoint, but uh, it, it gets an extra edge for a lot of people. It's an extra 10 percent or 20 percent or 30 percent improvement that they aren't getting you know, just working on these things from, from other angles. So, uh, like I said, it's, even though I'm aware of it and I, and I, and I, I know that it's true, it still, it still sort of grabs me when I actually see an example of it, someone's mind actually changing as a result of, of working on their digestion. Right. And it, and it definitely plays a role because of, you know, the serotonin production and things like this. So it's, 
definitely a part of the puzzle that has to be at least looked at and understood. Um, so what is what does E stand for in coherent? Well, the 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 first E is is for equalize, meaning equalizing the terrain. And the idea there is kind of getting back to this picture of the ecosystem and imagining that you're you know you're gonna we wanted to plant a garden. And you just kind of threw some seeds out in your lawn and <laughs> go for the best. Uh, not a lot's going to happen. So you have to prepare the soil. You have to remove the debris. You have to aerate it. You have to prepare this tissue for the bacteria to grow. So, for example, with sea, we're colonizing. We're getting some bacteria in there, but we, re- we want them to grow on their own. We don't want to necessarily... T- take probiotics forever, um, we, we want to colonize the gut and then have it growing on its own. And for um, the, the really the, the most common thing that falls under the E is really looking at the amount of, of fiber in our diet. So fiber is really, um, you know, the natural colon cleanser. Um, you know, if people ask me all the time about these different kind of colon cleansing routines and things, and if you look at you know, the vast majority of them, it's, it's primarily fiber, uh, maybe so a few liver herbs, uh, and, of course, plenty of water. Uh, but what, what fiber does is, A, the, the insoluble fiber actually acts sort of as little scrub brushes to just sort of keep material moving along. Um, since our digestive tract isn't just a, as it's, for example, it's not just a smooth tube. It actually has all these tiny little crypts in there um, and these little pouches um, where the actual absorption occurs. And for example, one of the things that really struck me a number of years ago was um, I saw a demonstration of, uh, where someone had simply just mixed flour with water to make paste. And they said, you know, what do you imagine happens when you eat a lot of flour in your gut? In other words, um, this sort of paste cakey material can get into all of these little crypts and just kind of clog them up. And then when that happens, we can't use that surface area to, to absorb nutrients. So fiber in our diet helps to um, clean those out. And then there's also what we call um, more, more of what we call soluble fibers, and particularly what you may have heard of that are called prebiotics. And what those are is certain kinds of fiber that are specific food for the bacteria. So when all everything's working well in the gut, the bacteria ferment um, certain carbohydrates that our body does not purposely and doesn't make digestive enzymes to break down because those that's the food for the bacteria. So um, Equalize is really looking at the terrain or looking at the tissue and how, what can we do to promote the growth of the bacteria in that tissue. And so we want to remove the debris. We want to get inflammation under control. We do want to make sure there's plenty of water. And so there's all of these things that come into play um, around helping, helping the bacteria grow. Very cool. It's interesting. Now I think I know the story of how the Pillsbury Doughboy came to life. It's like flour plus water equals Pillsbury Doughboy. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I don't exactly. know if this is true or not, but I'm, that's, that's what I'm going to go with from, from here on out. Uh, okay, so uh, the R. What does the R stand for in coherent? R, R is really the piece that I think is, is a whole, adds a whole other dimension, and it's, it's realized. So realizing self-awareness, and, and the, the, it's to, to integrate our thoughts, feelings, 
sensations and actions. It's really this piece of bringing in all the stuff that's not physical about our digestive health and and taking a look at that. You know, people, we, we really have, a, you know, a second brain in our gut. And, and it's the place where we, we process a lot of emotions. You know, we do have emotional centers in our brain, uh, but where we oftentimes actually physically feel things is in our gut. You know, if, if we're feeling scared or we're feeling anxious or, or uh, we, we actually feel that in our abdomen. And so it's, it's noticing things like that, noticing a connection. Um, or for some people, it's noticing that um, when, when they're not feeling emotionally fed, they're looking to physical food to, to fill that gap. It's, it's looking at our relationship with food. Uh, it's becoming aware of, of how our behavior is altered by what, what, are, what are we thinking, what are we feeling. Um, what are we sensing? You know, if, if when we're if we're walking down the street and we get a whiff of of some caramel popcorn, you know, does that automatically sort of find ourselves drifting over that way? And it doesn't necessarily mean that's bad or don't eat the popcorn, but it's more about just that bringing that awareness to bear on that and noticing these connections. So um, one of the uh, a story that I like to tell in relation to that was a gentleman who some years ago I, I was working in a, in a fitness club and. I was doing a lot more with kind of diet meal planning, and he wanted um, he he said, you know, I, I want to lose some weight. I want to exercise. He goes, but I, I don't want to lie to you. He's like, I, I I like McDonald's. And he said, Are would you be willing to at least make one day a week where I can have McDonald's? And I said, you know, I, I'll agree to do that if you agree. Um, something for me. And he said, well, what's that? And I said, what I want you to do is over the next couple of weeks, you know, anytime you're not feeling well, your energy levels are low, uh, something's not going on, you're feeling off, I go, I just want you to pause and think back to the last thing you, you ate. And, and just, just observe it, you know. It, it doesn't necessarily mean that every time you're not feeling well, it's related to something you ate. But I'll see if you know it's a pattern. And so he came back a few weeks later, and he sort of sat down, and he said, you know, he goes, Dr. Matt, I'm done. And, and I, I thought he meant he was done with his program. And um, he goes, no, I'm, I'm done with McDonald's. And he goes, I did what you said. You know, I one night it was a busy day, I, I you know, running the kids around, grab some, grab some Mickey D's. I woke up the next morning and he goes, I was just, I was just dragging, you know, and, and he goes, I did what you said. And I, I, I thought back to what I had and it was at McDonald's the night before. And he said, so, you know, I tested it. <laughs> um, and I went out, you know, deliberately uh, a few days later and had the exact same thing that I ate. And when I woke up the next morning, I felt the exact same way. And, for him, that experience was transformative. See, we don't, you don't need me to tell you that, you know, eating a bunch of burgers and fries isn't great for your health. You know, everybody knows that. But until we get an experience of it, until we start to connect those dots on the inside, you know, what did I do and how do I feel and what's going on, then for people that provides a lot of the motivation to, to make those changes that they, that they haven't otherwise seen before. And so I think a lot of times, you know, as a practitioner in general, it's very easy for us because, you know, I have all this knowledge. I just want to share it with you. Um, but 
it, it helps to, to try to draw some things out as well and things that are in your experience. So realize is really about, you know, taking our digestive health and then looking at it in the context of our beingness as a whole, um, truly holistic, not only our body but um, our mind and our emotions as well, how that all fits together. Right. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense because food is really, you know, food is an input into our body and our body kind of has a feedback loop, if you will, from that food. So just being more mindful of that and understanding it and then understanding why we're craving things, why we're, you know, drawn to things and, and what it may be. And sometimes, even for myself, I've realized that I've been craving some type of food that is kind of like somewhat healthy but somewhat junky. It's kind of in the middle of the road and I normally wouldn't want to have it as much. But then I look into it and I realize, oh, I have a deficiency and this, you know, food has a high level of this nutrient that I have a deficiency in. So it's like, can you speak on that a little bit and how that kind of plays a role? Oh, of kind oh of yeah, absolutely. And and those are those are really great observations. So, so for example, just like you said, you know, what, what the body doesn't, at least not yet, <laughs> it can't like throw up a pop-up window and say, hey, David, we need more magnesium over here. It, it, doesn't, right. it doesn't communicate in that way. It, it communicates in terms of cravings, right? And so, for example, if, you know, if in your diet you, you, you say, for example, you, you don't eat, you know, you don't eat a lot of greens, and you don't eat a lot of legumes, beans. You don't like it, and um, these sort of magnesium-rich foods, and where you might be getting the, the the food that you eat that might have the most magnesium in it. For for many many people, could be could be chocolate. So, and, and the, the the cocoa itself isn't, you know, that's great. It's it's you know the processing of it and all other stuff we add to it. But in other words, you could get this. Oh man, I really have a chocolate craving. And that's what your body is telling you is chocolate. But what's underlying it might be, for example, like you said, a, a magnesium issue. And uh, myself, um, many, many years ago, I experienced this uh, when I finally took on uh, my Mountain Dew addiction, uh, which... Um, started very young and and actually persisted uh, pr- pretty pretty far into actually naturopathic school. It was sort of you know like on on the down low, um, you know slugging my Mountain Dews off on the side. Uh, but one of the things that I found interesting when I was looking at it in more detail was this ingredient um, called brominated vegetable oil, and it, it's used in in Mountain Dew and other citrusy beverages to kind of provide this mouth feel that we like when we when we you know consume these things and bromine is a halogen element it's very similar to iodine and uh, of course iodine has many uses in our in the body uh, um, bromine not so much you know other things in that category would be chlorine and fluorine and so i thought to myself you know based on what i know about chemistry you know these all of these elements are similar so the body is going to kind of treat them in the same way i wonder if I'm getting this craving, it might be connected to an iodine deficiency. So I just, um, I got myself like a bottle of liquid iodine. I didn't, you know, go nuts with it, but just, you know, took a little bit every day for a few weeks. And I've, my Mountain Dew, you know, addiction, affliction was, was cured. It was, it was really, really a, a, a sort of, 
um, transformational moment for me in that way to see that okay, it, it wasn't it wasn't just about like I have this craving and I need to fight it and build up my will and overcome it, but rather let me go into this craving and let me go a little bit deeper with it and and see what is it really about, and I think that that piece is so helpful for for everyone because we have. We're sort of entrained to engage with the world, you know, from a from a kind of a dualistic standpoint. In other words, um, you know, we have desires, and from from ancient times, there's these sort of two schools. You know, one school is sort of the ascetics, and that's you know, you have this desire, you deny the desire, you refrain, you abstain, and then you 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 will grow uh, this sort of power or will or, or strength that you can use in other things. And then, and then there's, of course, the complete opposite. There's this sort of um, affirm, you know, like follow everything. Follow whatever it is that you find pleasurable. Just immerse yourself in it completely. And so we're always presented this crossroads with everything. It's kind of like do we, do we deny it? Do we affirm it? And I think for many of us, um, we sort of oscillate between the two. We have this, you know, we go from one pendulum swing to the other, and we're sort of in c- conflicted over this. And really there's a third option, and, and the third option is to simply ask why. So just just look at it. Just acknowledge that it's there and go, okay, why am I having this desire? Why do I have this impulse? Why do I have this craving? And go deeper into it, and you might see that there's something else there for you. And, and when you get those little tidbits, you know, those are, are, are usually um, uh, pretty revealing for people. Hmm. Interesting. That was a great story about the Mountain Dew. It's kind of interesting, too, because I think because we have so many chemicals and, and uh, preservatives and things like this within foods, you know, quote-unquote foods today, whether it be, you know, fast food, bagged food, boxed food, packaged food, etc. What's interesting about that is a lot of these things will mimic things within the body. So, for example, you know, BPA, the chemical in plastic, will mimic estrogen. So maybe, I mean, and that kind of, I kind of saw the parallel with your story and how that kind of uh, mimics iodine. So maybe the cravings and things like that are just kind of craving that, what their body needs, and it kind of is like a a false impulse, if you will, for the body, and then they need to get their fix again. Um, so that's, that's really interesting. Um, yeah, and 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 that's um, you know, especially where I think in in to, you know these times, it's very easy to just kind of slap a bad label on something, and uh, you know, oh, this is bad, that's bad, you shouldn't eat it. And in many cases, it can just be very disempowering for people because they've, they've, you know, they've been entrained in this sort of that sort of eat, you know, eat this, not that world. They tell me what's good, tell me what's bad, put everything in two columns. I'm gonna eat the good stuff. I'm gonna not eat the bad stuff. And then they try it and they fail. Mm-hmm. And you know, and then it, if you go back to that same source of information, you know, it's just say, well, try harder. You know, or, you know, you'll get your little, you know, Yoda will pop up, and you know, there is no try. And we're just supposed to supposed to Jedi, 
you know, mind, uh, you know, trick our way through this where, you know, there's, there's information there. There's wisdom that can be learned. You know, it's okay. You don't, you don't, you don't have to be a total Puritan about food. Um, but if you do eat with awareness, then even in those times when you're indulging in something you know isn't good for you, you might get something out of it that's valuable. Right. And just understanding the practice of being mindful, the practice of at least at least eating healthy so that your diet serves you and then and understanding the practice of balance as well and not being too, uh, you know, constrictive because that kind of ties into, uh, you know, the some people will, you know, eat something that's not so healthy and then beat themselves up about it and then it affects their, you know, mood and their emotions and then that affects their health. So it's a it's definitely a bigger picture and, I'm, and that's, a, that's uh, kind of a, a better way of looking at it, I think. Uh, so back to the coherent method. Uh, what does uh, E stand for? The the second E. The the second E is energizing the metabolism. It's simply about uh, providing a full spectrum of of nutrients to the body. So um, one thing you know, I think it's it's largely in transition now, but we're still stuck in the old ways. Is you know, most people's idea of food, they think food, they think calories. They might think carbs, fat, and protein, how much of each of these I'm supposed to get. But your average person isn't really thinking a lot about the nutrition. In other words, there's 22 vitamins and minerals that, that we need to get from our food in order for the body to run right. And unfortunately, it's, it's not like, hey, you know, I got 19 out of 22. I'm doing pretty good. I got a B plus. It, um, those other three, if they're not present in the diet, your metabolism is going to start sticking at that point no matter where it is. So you, you can have, you know, you can be doing really great in terms of what you're eating. You can even be eating all healthy foods but still have a very huge glaring gap in your nutrition. And that for a lot of people is new. Uh, and the first time I say, well, I'm eating great. I'm eating, you know, I'm eating fruits and veggies. And, you know, it, well, you know, do you eat? Do you eat nuts and seeds? Oh, I don't eat those. Well, because I'm trying. You know, I'm worried about the fat, for example. Well, there's there's just certain nutrition that you're not going to get from from foods, no matter how healthy they are. They're just not a great source of a particular vitamin or mineral. So we we really got to look at is are we providing a full spectrum of nutrition for the body? Are we supporting the energetics of the body by putting making sure at least getting all the raw materials in? Awesome. And that's kind of both the, I guess you would say, fuel and uh, range of motion, if you will, for the, for the gut then, correct? And that's- right, a- right, absolutely. Because, you know, it's very easy to get in a sort of a downward spiral. So if, if mm-hmm. for example, zinc is very important um, for our endocrine and our immune system, so if we're, and, and both of these come into play in our gut. So what happens if we're not getting enough zinc and that's impairing the ability of our digestive system to identify uh, a food versus an invader, uh, we see we can get into this sort of downward spiral where we're you know now our now our immune system isn't functioning as well. We're continuing to eat less zinc, or we're not able to extract the zinc from the food that we're eating, which is causing further impairment of of our immune system. Mm-hmm. Gotcha. Uh, the N. What does the N stand for? N is neutralize, so neutralizing invaders. So um, you know, whereas C, we're talking about the the good guys. Um, and is the ones that aren't playing so nice with us, and so removing m- harmful microbes from the system. So, um, 
most of us, if we have an infection, like a full-blown infection of the gut, we'll know about it, right? Because um, there you will, um, you'll usually be spending a lot of time in the bathroom, right? You're gonna you're gonna be in pretty severe pain. You might have a fever. Most people are gonna, you know, be aware that they have an a full-blown infection, but what a lot of people are not aware of is what we would call a subclinical infection. So, for example, uh, you get some food poisoning, and we've all probably had food poisoning at some point in our life, and, you know, the body does its thing. It clears out most of those bacteria, but there's still some that are lingering in there um, at a low level. In fact, the smartest bacteria um, and viruses don't cause a lot of severe disease for us. They don't. It's it's not a good idea for them to kill their host, right? Um, the smartest ones just sort of operate right under the radar. It's no different than you know a virus on your computer, right? The best ones are the ones that you don't know are there, and so. Um, Neutralize refers to identifying those things to the best ability that that we can. Our, our tools um, are a lot better than they used to be, but um, they're they're still a long way to go. But identifying, you know, are there microbes in the system that are causing problems, and if so, you know, how are we going to neutralize those, and how are we going to bring those levels down? Hmm. So, is there some sort of kind of like diagnostic or biofeedback technology that is kind of in the works with that, or how do you kind of tell what's going well, on? There? Well, the most advanced technology we have now is called 16S um, RNA testing. So basically, it's based on the it's based on the principle that uh, uh, bacteria have certain aspects of their their genetics, certain kinds of RNA uh, markers in them that that human cells simply don't have. So we can take a stool test and then we can use a molecular probe to go in and match up uh, these little signature pieces of RNA that um, you know would only go along with a, a particular organism. So we can say, for example, okay, well, um, this, this, this one is found in H. pylori, so you know, we know that some of that is coming out in your stool. Uh, whereas um, for the longest time, up until about 10 years ago, a little bit longer than that, uh, we, the only way we could identify an organism was to culture it. And only certain things will grow in culture. Uh, a lot of the things that, that cause problems for the, the body are anaerobic bacteria that can't grow in the presence of oxygen. So that ain't going to work. We can't just do, uh, we used to just, you know, take a stool sample, kind of put it out on Petri dishes and see what grows. And that's only looking at a very tiny, tiny sliver of, of what could possibly be in our, in our, in our stool. So we're able now to use DNA probes to get a much, uh, more detailed picture of what is going on inside the gut, particularly from um, bacteria. But on the other hand, we still yet we don't know uh, even of all the bacteria that are in there, so we can't we can't look for something until we know that it's there. So it's kind of a, a chicken and egg scenario. Uh, and then of course there's um, there's other things, for example, viruses that we're, we're our knowledge of, of what we call the microvirome is even more in its in infancy um, than, you know, the, the bacteria. So we, we really don't have any good ways still to identify what's going on at that level. But we do have um, a lot more, you know, than we, than we do now. And I've seen people who have come in, for example, I know you mentioned some some, with some other electronic, you know, they they went to a practitioner who used a device and they said, oh, you know, this device, 
usually it indicates that they have, you know, oh, I have parasites or oh, I have yeast. And uh, oftentimes, um, well, first they're coming to see me because they haven't, you know, people feel like they're stuck. They they quite haven't landed on it. And what we might find is that, well, you had something in the in the in the yeast fungus category, but it's not candida, or you do have candida, but you have something else also, or you don't have candida at all. I don't know why this electronic device said that you have it. So um, we're able to you know to look with a lot more detail than on all these other techniques that are out there. So it uh, really helps us to you know to identify those things. I've certainly um, found things in people using those techniques that that w- would have never suspected um, from. Uh, overgrowth of geotrichum, which is a, a mold that we use to make like blue cheese um, in a person, uh, pinworms in an adult male, which is, you know, I would I, I would have thought of that on my own in a million years. So you can imagine how, you know, we could, we could be beating our heads against the wall, kind of barking up the wrong tree with those things. Hmm. Interesting. So the last but not final letter incoherent T, what does T stand for? T is for tranquilize, and um, by tranquilize, it, and we're referring to, you know, peace, uh, relaxing, tranquilizing the gut tissue. So for, for there's kind of two aspects of that, and one is, you know, the gut motility. So for a lot of people, um, their gut is just overactive. It's just um, the, 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 mo- the motion that's moving things through their gut, they have a very short, what we call bowel transit times, the amount of time it takes from something to go from one end to the other, uh, which, you know, the, if it's food isn't in your gut long enough, um, you can't really fully digest it. So helping to calm down the neurology, uh, the neurological aspects of, of gut, the gut, but all, and also, too, the other aspect is inflammation. And so a lot of people just have a very highly inflamed tissue. Um, they also may have um, some aspect of intolerance going on, so what we call a hypersensitivity reaction, not, not necessarily an allergy in the classical sense, uh, but, you know, the body, immune system reacting to something that it shouldn't be and um, just just like anything else you know if you imagine um, uh, you know you someone's you know kind of say poking fun at you about something and you know you can handle it a little bit but you start to get sensitized to these things and it it takes less and less and less and less to set you off Um, and that happens in the gut as well with our physiology so when we're in a chronic inflammatory state we're already kind of raising the bar. Like we're all, instead of starting from zero, we're starting from five, and it takes less to throw things off. Um, you know, the difference between someone who, you know, needs to eat a big bowl of pasta to trigger their, their gluten sensitivity or someone who has, you know, a tiny speck of gluten that might have floated on their plate, you know, from someone else's dish in the kitchen that throws their whole system off. You know, that's they're highly sensitive, so what we need to do is actually work to tone down the gut, bring that down, let things relax in there, so that way we're not we're not always jumping the gun or we're not always, you know, we're not so prone to having things thrown off. So the tranquilize just refers, you know, refers to to those aspects, um, you know, tranquilizing gut motility. um, If if it is overactive, we can go too far the other way too, uh, but, and then also the inflammation. Mm -hmm. 
Very cool. This this information has been pure gold. I think it's some of the uh, most coherent. Uh, <laughs> I'll use that word. Some <laughs> of the most you. coherent uh, information as far as digestive health is concerned, because I think there's a lot of there's a lot of people that you know they talk about probiotics or they talk about eating healthy or they talk about kind of individual parts, but putting it in a kind of a framework like this, I really think helps bring clarity to people and help them to see kind of the, the big picture, the full picture, and to understand how each kind of part plays its role and connects with the other parts. Um, so I really appreciate your time in doing this interview. Where can our uh, listeners learn more about you? What's your website and what city do you practice out of in case there are listeners locally that want to um, consult you for services? Oh, sure, sure. Well, my office is in, in Rochester Hills, Michigan. Um, I, we, you know, we do do phone consults occasionally. We get people who, who aren't able to make it in for whatever reason. I do like to see people in person if, if possible. Um, but we're, we're in Rochester Hills, Michigan. The website is um, drmatt with two T's and then ND, like naturopathic doctor, so drmattnd.com. And, uh, you know, we've got information up there, a few, a few different articles. Um, um, some things on, on the coherent method, actually, uh, your listeners have probably gotten more detail out of this interview with you today um, than, than they will find about the particulars um, on the on the website. I'm still working on kind of filling out those those pieces, um, but of course, we'd be happy to um, you know work with anyone who who might be interested. Yeah, and, and you have a lot of great information uh, as well too. I believe you have a Facebook page too, correct? Oh yeah, we we have you know we have a Facebook page, so we're you know just sharing tips or news or recipes or things like that. And if you um, you know if you go to our main website, you'll see some some uh, icons across the top to connect on you know Facebook or Google Plus or um, LinkedIn or or even Twitter. I don't I don't tweet a lot, but occasionally if I see something interesting, I might you know I might retweet it and things like that. Awesome. And for all the listeners listening in, I highly encourage you to uh, definitely check out his website and follow his Facebook page because I'm sure when you do update the website, there will be a lot of, uh, of great information there as well. So um, once again, thanks a lot for your time. I appreciate it, and uh, we'll, we'll chat soon. Take care. All right, David. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Bye. All right, bye-bye. And we'll wrap the show with that, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you so much for tuning in to the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast. If you can do me a huge favor and go to iTunes and type in Healthy, Wild, and Free. And if you're not subscribed in iTunes, you can subscribe to the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast in iTunes, which means that the episodes will be automatically updated and you will get each new episode kind of in your iTunes account, which you can play on your phone or on your iPod at the gym or on your way to work in the car or just on the go or wherever. So uh, subscribe to the Healthy, Wild, and Free podcast in iTunes. And while you're there, if you could leave a review by clicking Ratings and Reviews, and just take two minutes and leave your feedback on the show. I'd love to hear what you're thinking, uh, you know, your thoughts and how you've enjoyed the show and, and what you like and what you don't like even. And just to kind of share that feedback with me would be awesome. And you can subscribe to the Healthy, Wild, and Free newsletter at healthywildandfree.com on the top right-hand side. If you subscribe to that newsletter, you'll get a free book called Your Supplement Suck, which talks about supplement quality and uh, basically how to determine whether the supplements you're taking are of quality and beneficial 
or their or if they're a waste of money to stop taking them. Uh, so that's it for this show. I'll see you on the Facebook page at facebook.com slash healthy, wild, and free. Uh, I update things there daily, and I will see you in the next episode of the podcast. Take care and have a great day. Bye.